Psalm 78. It says, we must tell the next generation the wonders and deeds of the Lord Almighty so that the next generation may tell their children and we will remember that God is faithful. Today we're going to dial the clock back for a few moments here in worship. We're going to dial the clock back 20 years. 20 years exactly to this moment, in fact, here in the Pioneer Memorial Church on the campus of Andrews University. 20 years. Net 98. Some of you have never heard of Net 98. Subtract 20 from your age right now. How old were you 20 years ago? 20 years ago, October 9th, so that would be just a few days earlier this week. 20 years ago, October 9th, 7.15 in the evening, somebody up in that mezzanine level hit a switch and at the speed of light, a beam from two massive satellite trucks that were parked out back here shot up to a bevy of satellites belting the planet. One signal from here up to those satellites, six continents dropped down, all beaming in that beam, over 100 nations, 40 languages, 7,600 downleak sites simultaneously. A little preacher was standing up here, and he was trying to preach in English. Downstairs in the commons were all these little booths that had uh, carpet tacked to them so that they'd be kind of soundproof, and there were 39 other preachers preaching their hearts out in the languages of this world. Net 98 started on October 9. It went till November 14. Can you believe that? Five, over five weeks. That was the old way. Five weeks, five nights a week, plus four Sabbaths, 31 satellite uplinks from the Pioneer Memorial Church to the entire planet. And every one, every one of these uplinks began with this 32-second intro. If you never went to Net 98, I'm going to remind you. No, if you've gone, I'll remind you. If you've never gone, you'll see it for the first time. Come on, take a look at this. 32 seconds, every single program. Every time I hear that music be, begin to play, my stomach goes like this. <laughs> Not again. Are we having to do this again? Oh, 41 times. Why do we do it? What's the big deal about Net 98? I'll show you what the big deal about Net 98 was. Just before he left, Jesus, Matthew 28, 19, verse 18, I'm your Lord. I have all authority under heaven and earth. I'm not inviting you. I'm not suggesting. I am commanding you, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things what I have commanded you. And lo, how's it end? And lo, I am with you 
always to the end of the age. That was a big deal. Never before in the history of Christianity, according to my friend Russell Burrell, all right, never before in the history of Christianity and never since has there been a simultaneous evangelistic event that was global in nature that lasted that long. And I tell you what, folks, we're not here to do anything but praise God. Psalm chapter 50, verse 23 reads like this. God says, when you praise me, you will glorify me. So we need to praise him. This is, not about, this is not about the church that was a host site for 98. Certainly not about that little preacher standing right there. This is about something God did. Candace Thorpe in, his, in her book, The Miracles of Satellite, rehearses the history of satellite evangelism. My friend Mark Finley was the big dreamer that launched it with Net95. But as she reviews that history, she says, humanly, you wonder, how could this ever have been put together to happen the way it did? And by the way, speaking of the luck of the draw, we got it. The only one, the only site, the only time it was truly global, 100 nations, 40 languages. Let's find out what was happening here. Come on, Chris. Chris Davidson, come on up here and stand with me. Chris is a, is a junior high teacher at Ruth Murdoch Elementary School. Chris, 20 years ago. You were, you told me first service, you were sitting about right over there. Is that right? That's correct. And you were a row host. Yes, I was. Yeah, because Pastor Skip had organized these row hosts. Every every pew had somebody who was looking for visitors coming in. And this church was packed. It was. You go over to the seminary, it was packed in the seminary. If we'd had the H-Pack, it would have been packed in the Mm H-Pack. Now, Chris, so one night, no, it's opening night, so you're, you're, tell us the story. I was sitting back uh, in the back corner there and... I had met a woman, she was a crossing guard near my school, and I had talked to her, befriended her, and then we were told to get the invitation out, that Net98 was coming, and I invited her, but then that night I was shocked to see her and her husband, Don, walk in and sit in my row. Don and Angie Bishop are sitting over there in that pew with you. Unbelievable. Don was working at, what was it, where is it, the the, the Juvenile Center. Juvenile Center, Mm -hmm. yeah. Somebody there had handed him one of these little uh, video invitations back when they had VHS. He took, him, he took it home. And watched it. Watched it with his wife. Said, I'm going. And I'm going. So, Chris, every night, tell us what's happening. I mean, you're just getting to know these guys. Every night we'd come in, we would greet each other, we would uh, pray with people, talk to them, see how their week was going, and then we'd sit and we'd listen and hear about Jesus together. Yeah. So they're, they're discovering Bible uh, teachings that probably they had not uh, read before. Absolutely. You and Claudia. Claudia's working downstairs, but you're starting to form a relationship with them. Tell, me, t- tell us about that. Well, after the meetings were over, um, they graciously gave us uh, our own set of our VHS tapes, and so Claudia wanted to watch them. So we got with our friends. She missed them downstairs. She did. She She's down children. there with the kids. Yeah, She's yeah, yeah. ministering to them, and she wants to watch them. So we... I got our friends of Onopowski, uh, Debbie Withers, and we got our children together, mm-hmm. and we sat and had light supper, and we'd watch them together. And along came Don and Angie Bishop and their kids, and yeah. so we relived it. Yeah. So that's the end of November. It ended November 14. Mm-hmm. You know what, uh, Chris? I will never forget that Sabbath in December. I should have checked to find out when mm-hmm. that was, actually. But when those curtains parted, there you were in the baptistry. Mm-hmm. There were Don and Angie. And me, all four of us standing Mm. there in that moment when they went under the waters and came up, new creatures in Christ.
Well, once you make a friend like that as a row host, you pretty much drop them as soon as the event's over. <laughs> True not, or false? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. Tell us what's been happening. Um, Don and I maintained our friendship when he was here. Uh, he got a degree from Andrews University, uh, went to Lansing, went to Lafayette, and now is in Phoenix, Arizona. Hmm. And every Sabbath morning, either my pocket buzzes or his buzzes, because we are constantly still to this day, and I just got a buzz sitting over there in the front Did row from really? Don, Did saying, hey, happy Sabbath. Happy Sabbath. So, Praise God. Did you tell him you're going to share the story? Today? I did not yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, he'll see it. I'll tell him later. Uh, Chris, you know what? Two things. Number one, the importance of row hosts, the importance of people looking for, hey, is somebody, is some, is somebody visiting today? No. Every Sabbath, that's important. No. But number two, what you're showing us is it's not just a one-time little, hey, yo, get to know Jesus. It's like, can we be friends forever? Amen. And isn't that what Jesus said to us? That's right. Forever friendship. Bless you. Thank you for sharing that. While Chris is going down, I want to invite Pastor Skip to come on up. And Lana Chapman, where are you, Lana? Because these two were in the thick of the thick of the... We, we, we can do it over here. They, they were in the thick of the thick of the infrastructure. Net 98 was not, Lana, just a series of satellites going all over the planet. Net 98 was not just this place filled, but it was ministry taking place downstairs. And Skip, in fact, you were reminding me. Tell us about the infrastructure. We had actually 1,500 volunteers. 1,500 <clears throat> volunteers for Net 98? Took, took that to pull it off. Mercy. And I've got uh, the handout. We thanked them in the bulletin. Um, eight and a half, two, eight and a half by 14 pieces of paper full of names. 1,500 volunteers. Let me just hold this up. Come on. Look at all these names. Eight. How many names again? 1,500? Two sheets, 1,500 names. 1,500 names. Over 50 ministries. And, uh, Praise and, God. Yeah, Jim Ford over at the university, he helped me work for almost a year yeah. helping develop job descriptions for all those ministries. Mm -hmm. First time I've been done for net programs, and then they asked us to, to uh, let them use it for other net programs afterwards. Very cool. Yeah, amazing. So, Lana, as I'm looking through this, I see that you were the leader of the 11 to 12-year-old age group. How many did you have in there? Uh, we were planning on 35 to 40, and we thought that would be a really big number. And we ended up with about 75 the first night, and it stayed pretty consistent through most of the meetings. And you had some interesting stories. Why don't you share one of your stories with us? Okay. The last Friday night, well, I had been really privileged to work with Donna Hobanick, and we had met, made a children's series called Come Meet Jesus. And we took Jesus' life from creation all the way through the second coming again in heaven. And the last Friday night, we were doing his crucifixion. And I had been up most of Thursday. I was a nervous wreck. I get very emotional and usually cry every time I talk about Jesus' crucifixion. And I just kept praying, I don't know what to say. Give me one child. I didn't ask for a hundred or a thousand. And our Net 98, our Come Jesus, was also used all around the world, too. So it wasn't just us. But I was sitting there um, before our meeting started, and it was the first time I actually left the room after the kids started arriving. We were in early teen loft. I went off out into the stairwell, and I sat there, and I kept praying. I said, I don't know what to say. Just put your words in my mouth. And we started off with Jesus walking to Calvary. 
And we talked about the two thieves and how they were so upset. They fought. They did not want to be crucified. And we talked about Jesus putting his hand out and willingly letting them drive the nails into his hands and his feet. And I was choked up, and I heard this sobbing noise. And I looked down, and here one of the 12-year-old boys had his head in his hands, and he was sobbing his eyes out. And it happened to be the boy that we had had problems with that actually had gotten in a fight on the first Sunday night and had brought a knife, planning on hurting somebody. Isn't that something? Is there... What was the follow-up to that? Well, one of the things that we did after that program, at the end of it, we gave all of the kids a choice for baptism, and he was the first one to give me his card for baptism, and I was fortunate enough to sit here when he was baptized, and then I cried. Isn't that something? One of the over 100 that were baptized... Mm-hmm. It was sad. amazing. It was so special. But, but, but you know, Lana, you represent all of our, that infrastructure downstairs. Amen. And Donna Habenick, you know, you guys, a year and a half in advance, you're putting together the curriculum. Five nights a week. What are we going to do? And look what God has done. It's and I'm amazing. so proud of you. And I, I, I just praise him for that story. That, what was his name? Willie? I can't remember yeah. and Bud wasn't sure. Well, we'll call him Willie. Sounds that, good. That, uh, <laughs> You know, that God brought little Willie into his faith community, 12 years old. God bless you. Now, listen, Pastor Skip. So stuff is happening, I find out later, up in uh, Benton Harbor. Just a word about that, please. In Benton Harbor. Just, so a little bit before 98 started, sometime before that, you had preached a sermon where what breaks God's heart should break our heart too. Right. We had several university students sitting out here who got together afterwards and they said, you know what? He mentioned Benton Harbor too. We need to go up and just start knocking on doors. They had no, no agenda just to go up and knock on right. doors and pray with people. Yeah. That's what they started doing. Oh, they built a little community up there that uh, they'd go back to week after week. And so when Net 98 came, they said, we're not going to let these people not get to be part of Net 98. Yeah. So they would, we didn't have a download, download capabilities no with no online streaming at that, right. at that time. Right. So they would get the... Uh, the next morning after our meetings, they would get the VHS tape, yeah. and they would bicycle it up there. They'd go pick up their community people they were working with, and they, they, would, they would pack out a facility that they, that they got a hold of yeah. up there and pack it out, yeah. and, and uh, they had some baptisms from that. Eventually became our Harbor of Hope church plant that's, up there, right? That's our what got us in the going. inner city of Benton Harbor. They yeah. led the way, yeah. and now we have Harbor of Hope. God bless you both. We couldn't have done it without your administrative skill. We couldn't have done it without your passion for children. Thank you for what you did. 20 years later, God's still reaping. Thank you. Bless you. We've got a, we've got a mutual friend, Skip and I, named Glenn Oftehauer. Glenn was boots on the ground for the North American Division. The North American Division invested $1.8 million in this event. I mean, it was a sizable investment. And so he was assistant to the president, Al McClure, at the time for special projects. Glenn Oftehauer was here behind the scenes throughout the entire uh, six, seven weeks uh, with the extra time on either end. Glenn and I have been in, in communication, and Glenn said, Dwight, if you're going to share a story, you need to share the story of Jason Canfield. I'd never heard that story. We tracked Jason down just this last week on Skype in a little town called Lacey, Washington, and here is his story of what Jesus did through Net 98. Hey, Jason, what a treat to have you live on our Skype screen here. 
I mean, there you are in Lacey, Washington, and here I am in Little Berrien Springs, Michigan, but because of a mutual friend, our friend Glenn Oftehauer, he told me about your story, and I said, I got to talk to this man. And so, Jason, 20 years ago, something called Net 98 was happening. Tell me about your life 20 years ago. Uh, 20 years ago, my life was quite a mess. I had been raised in the LDS church um, and kind of left that, went into a lifestyle of drugs and alcohol and all kinds of things I shouldn't have been involved in. And uh, then I met my wife, Molly. She was a, a backslidden Adventist, and I was a backslidden Mormon, you could say. And uh, in the midst of everything and the chaos of life, something came up at the Glendale Seventh-day Adventist Church called Net 98 with a, a neat guy preaching. Um, we decided to go hear a few things and uh, began to change my life. The Adventists scared me a little bit. I thought they ate rubber meat and uh, did some very strange things, went to church on the wrong day. It, it didn't work out very well. They weren't very convincing initially. I just thought they were strange. Yeah. What was your reaction and response in that 98? You know, I was very convicted. Uh, probably the most convicting uh, was the Sabbath seemed very clear to me that it was there all the way in Genesis, all the way through the presentation very much challenged me. Um, at the same time, I didn't like it. So I actually set out to try and prove Pastor Dwight Nelson wrong by going to every church I could find and uh, find what the evidence was to disprove the, uh, the Adventist teaching of the Sabbath. There was a lot of things that were challenging. Um, the, the state of the dead was another, another big challenge for me. Um, I'd had spiritual encounters with what I believed was a dead brother, all kinds of different things that had happened that made some of the teachings challenging. Um, but a lot of it was also cultural. The idea of being disowned from my family in the LDS faith made it a big challenge and made me very reluctant initially to uh, go ahead and get baptized. I wanted my family to know uh, what I was doing, but I was scared of it. I actually kind of tricked my family into coming to my baptism. Um, which really? quite. <laughs> I, I was the first to get a bachelor's degree, even though I'm the youngest of 10. Um, and they're big on family. So we decided to have our youngest daughter, Emily, dedicated in church mm -hmm. and uh, thought I would get baptized in the same service. And uh, so we invited my family. They came uh, when I, after graduation on Friday. Saturday, we dedicated my daughter. I was baptized. And the next day I moved to California, hoping to not have to see my family for a while. So you made the decision. Yes. And then you say, okay, God, I'm going to start following where you lead. And you, of all places, you end up in the Orient. Go explain that one. We, we tried a lot of things, ended up in South Korea, the one country my father told me not to go. Um, but <laughs> it's just how it worked. Um, it was a miracle to get there. And within months, I ended up in uh, Samyuk University studying theology. What in the world would you be doing in a little place that we've never heard of called Lacey, Washington. Well, I'm currently pastoring. I've been pastoring for over 10 years. Wait now. a minute, J J Jason, Jason, you are a Seventh-day Adventist pastor now? Proudly, yes. Bless you. Bless you for letting us come barging in with this Skype conversation. We are putting our hands together and we are praising God for what he did through you. Amen. Me too. Yeah, come on. What a story, huh? Backslidden Mormon ends up in Net 98, and now he's pastoring in uh, the Washington Conference. We give God the glory. God says, when you praise me, you glorify me, and we praise him for what he's done. My friend Ken Logan's coming out, our beloved minister of music.
Ken, you had 31 sessions. It wasn't just me. You were in the thick of it for 31 sessions as as you planned with your music team, the music for all of those events. (laughs) Look what God has done. Incredible. Now, you get up in the summertime to British Columbia, and when you were up there either last summer or the summer before, you heard a story about a Dr. Glenn Gill. You've been in touch with him. He wrote you a letter. Can you, can you share the story of uh, Dr. Gill? Well, it was great to be back in, in touch with him, this time by email. It's been several years, and he shared a, a, a touching story that I had begun to hear there. Happy to be able to share it in detail here today. Go ahead. Share it with us, please. So speaking for Glenn Gill, I was a Christian long before Net 98, hmm. but I was not a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I was raised as a missionary kid by parents who were both Baptists. We had lived in India for 10 years, where my dad worked as a missionary doctor with the Canadian Overseas Baptist Mission. Mm. While in India, I attended an interdenominational American boarding school in Kodai Kanal, Tamil Nadu. It was there that I accepted Christ and was baptized at the age of 12. Since then, I have been actively involved in church. I married an SDA member in 1985, and we spent many years attending both Sunday church and SDA churches. But as our kids grew older, we decided it would be best to just attend one church so as not to confuse them. We chose the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I had no problems with this since... By then, I was convinced to read the Sabbath as Saturday, not Sunday. I still, however, had trouble with some of the other SDA fundamental beliefs. Dr. Gill continues, It wasn't until Dwight Nelson's Net 98 series that it finally all clicked for me. We were in Halifax, Nova Scotia at the time, and it was being broadcast in a rental church the SDA congregation was using. As a physician, I was trained in the scientific method, and all of Dwight's talks were very scientifically thought out and explained with great illustrations, so I immediately clicked with his style of presentation. And for the first time, the Old and New Testaments were connected for me, and I understood the big picture. That was so exciting for me. My wife wasn't even at the meeting when Dwight called for anyone to come forward who wanted to commit their life to Christ. I knew I was ready and, I, and went forward. Shortly thereafter, I formally joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church by confession of faith. Things have not been the same since. My marriage has been strengthened. I'm involved more than ever in our church. I've been an elder in the SDA church for about 14 years now. I feel closer than ever to Christ and thank Him for guiding my life all these years and never giving up on me. Amazing grace. Glenn concludes, Please thank Dwight and his team for all the work, effort, and prayer put into Net 98. It was life-changing for me. God bless. Glenn Gill, Williams Lake. BC. Hallelujah. To God be the glory. What a beautiful testimony. Ken, thank you for being in the thick of it with us. Our privilege to have ministered together. God bless you. You know, folks, I still am amazed 
that in these 7,600 down league sites that people would actually, I, I just, would get up out of their seats and come to a screen. There was, there, it, it just coming to a screen to make a decision like that. One of the, one of the treats for me with Net98 was being able to focus on some interviews that we put together. We flew in a family, had a great story that was on the cover of People Magazine and Reader's Digest. This one was a bit different. I want, you, I want to see if you recognize the very special individual we brought in for October 31's meeting 20 years ago. We'll roll it on the screen, see if you recognize him. Good evening, everyone. It's a treat for me to introduce to you tonight one of our special guests that we have just flown in from the great state of New Jersey here in America. He sang last Sunday night at Kennedy Center. Last Wednesday, he was at the National Cathedral, one of the largest cathedrals in the land. He is going to be getting some Handel Oratorio. In fact, he has a career in oratorio and opera. Ladies and gentlemen, Charles Reed. Welcome him, will you please? Nice to have you, Charles. Thank you, you. Opera performance, which means it opens up doors for you to begin setting up a professional career track. It gives you the tools yeah. that help to refine the talents. So you have. end up down in Charleston, South Carolina, at one of these incredible moments and places where musicians from all over the world come. We're at this uh, gathering after a performance, and all the wealthy donors are there, and they're, they're talking to this, this up-and-coming star, and, and they said, well, now, now that you've sung at the Met, and you've been here, and you've, you've won this competition, you've done that, where do you see yourself? What's next in five years? And without dropping a beat, he just said, to go where the Lord leads. Whoa. And it, it shocked me. And it, it put a hush on the conversation, too. But it, yeah, I <laughs> <you know>. bet. <laughs> But it was over the next couple of weeks, I would say, you know, I started reflecting on my walk with Christ. And, and I started to realize that somewhere along the way in developing my career, it, it all became about me. And, and my, my relationship largely was a prayer life of asking God to back me up on my plans. Mm. And... and for all intents and purposes, I put away my Bible. I heard scripture at church, but, but I, I, I felt that I was living a sound Christian life, and, and yet I had, I had turned my back on what I have found to be the source of life, mm. which is that relationship with Christ. Did that redirect you then? It did. It did. I, I um, started to realize that this wasn't what I wanted, and, and I, I made it a point to try to figure out how to rid me of myself and mm. and start mm. to follow Christ and mm. start start to, to listen to where where you. God was leading and 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 look look what His Scripture said and and about that time I you bump into this wonderful had a young whole bunch lady of things happen. yeah I mean you meet Julie I I, I met the beautiful woman fall in love in fact I, you two are going to sing yes. you're going to sing at the end of our program tonight yes. six months later spring 1997. You make a decision. I, after much, much um, studying, I decided that it was time to join the Seventh-day Adventist Church and become a practicing member there. Follower of Jesus Christ. Follower of Jesus Christ. The passion for the Lord Jesus in your heart. Definitely. Yeah. What is it, before you sing for us tonight, Chuck, what is it that lights up your life? What is your passion? Well, I, I think 
it is most succinctly put in the song I'm going to sing tonight, and it's from an oratorio by Mendelssohn called Elijah. And in this song, the question is begged, where, where can I find, find God? Where can I come into the presence of God? And the answer through the prophet Obadiah is, if with all your hearts you seek him, you'll surely find him. Amen. And I, I think that, that really is it. That's the most difficult challenge you'll ever face in your life, is figuring out how to truly seek God with all your heart in, in, in his word, in your prayer life, in every aspect of your life. Thank you for coming here and sharing that passion. God bless you. Thank you. Sing for us. Unbelievable. Charles and Julie, 20 years ago. You, you know, in the, in the first service, um, I, was, I was so shocked. I hadn't seen this video, and I was so shocked when I saw the video and I saw my, my hair and, and the, the bagginess of my trousers and the width of that tie and everything else. I, I just, I, I was stumped. But, you know, so today we're, we're thinking back and we're mm. looking at the, the outcomes mm-hmm. of, of what came from that 98. And I just want to uh, let you know that um, God continued to bless uh, uh, Julie and me richly. Um, we, we have been able to, we've had opportunities to serve um, everywhere we've gone, you know, in New Jersey, Praise New God. York, in, in, uh, <clears throat> over in Europe for many years. And, and, then, um, and then eventually in 2012, we got to come here and join this community. Yep. You're, and, on our, you're on our early team team as you help lead with our yeah. teens. But you know what? I've got to say this, Chuck, before you and Julie sing. You know what was, what was beautiful about your testimony? It was vulnerable and transparent. And Praise you God. know what? God uses that. And so thank you for what you're doing with our kids. You've got your own kids. But uh, 20 years later, sing for us again. You, you both sang at the end that night when we had the altar call, Softly and Tenderly, Jesus is Coming. Mm-hmm. And that's the night that the, the, the uh, physician we just heard about comes to the screen. Sing, sing again. God bless you.
children, they are precious in His sight. Carry the light, carry the light, carry the light. Go and preach the gospel till there is no more night. Jesus Christ, carry the light, go into all the world, go into all the world, and There's only one way God can effectively carry the light. I want to take the few moments we've got left to tell you why I believe the church is strategic to God carrying the light right now. Because I have some friends who are worried about the church. They're worried about what's happening up in Battle Creek just a few miles up the road. There's a whole lot of hand-wringing going on in some circles where people are saying, I just don't, I just, I just, this, this, this is probably it. This is going to collapse this faith community. I want to share with you why I believe not. Twenty years ago, the church was preoccupied with saving the world. Twenty years later, if we're not careful, the church will be preoccupied saving the institution. Now, the danger is that in our effort to save the institution, we could lose an entire generation while we're waiting. Here's why I believe that that will not happen. You know why? Jesus made three promises. I'm going to share the three promises with you, share two quotes, and then sit down. Pull out your study guide because I want you to get these three. You'll take them home. You can brood over them later. Open your Bible to promise number one from the Lord Jesus himself. We're talking about Matthew chapter 16. Open your Bible to Matthew 16. Take a look. Jesus speaking, red-letter words. Watch this. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and I tell you, Jesus speaking, that you are Peter. So he's talking to Peter. And on this rock, but now he points at himself. Peter's name means rock, but this is a different form of rock in the Greek. He says, on this rock, he points to himself, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Would you write that down in your study guide, please? I will build my church. The church has one builder. 
It is not I. It is not you. It is not the theological seminary. It is not the leadership gathered in Battle Creek today. The church has one builder, and the builder is the one who says, I will build my church. We have nothing to fear for the future of this church because we know the builder. Do you, what, do you, what, what are you thinking? That he used a shoddy material? He wasn't, he wasn't clever enough? He wasn't bright enough? And he put the wrong human mixture together? Are you crazy? You think the devil has the brawn and the brains to take down God's, God's creation that he has built? I will build my church. He's the builder. We can rest secure in that assurance. Promise number two, jot it down, please. Promise number two, also the words of Jesus. Speaking through Paul, find Acts chapter 20. Paul is gathered on the, on the shore with the elders from the fledgling church plant in Ephesus. He can't even get into the city. It's two hours away. He's got a, they came to meet him because he's hurrying to Jerusalem. This is Acts chapter 20. Drop down to verse 28. Paul speaking now. Watch this. He's, Keep watch. This is verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. I see Brian and Becky out there. We're going to have an ordination for elders next week and deacons as well. Paul's saying, hey, elders, church leaders, deacons, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, here it comes. Be shepherds of the church which he did what? He bought with his own blood. Would you write that down, please? He, Jesus not only declares, I will build my church, he declares to us today, I have bought my church. Lord, how did you, what currency did you use? The crimson currency of Calvary's clear. It's his blood. I have bought this church. It is a blood-bought movement. Nail-scarred hands today. This movement, the, his church will be blood-bought for eternity. I will build my church. I have bought my church. And so the naysayers, and I got some friends who are, and the doomsayers, and those who fret and worry that somehow we can't have absolute confidence and quiet assurance in the security and longevity of the church that Christ has built and bought, I beg to differ with you. He, because he has built it and bought it, that is our security. That is our quiet assurance. Carry the light. Chuck and Julie sang their hearts out a moment ago. Carry the light. You can't carry the light of everybody's one little candle running around lost in the dark. You have to have a movement, and the church of Christ in the New Testament is a continuation of the community of Israel in the old, and God has always had a community, and He will have a church that goes through to the very bitter end. <laughs> Get off this worry and anxiety bit. Tell your friends to take a chill pill. God is not going to lose the church. And I'm speaking to those of you who are young. Because the temptation now when you're young is, yeah, I have no roots in the church, so it's not a big deal to me. I could walk out tomorrow. I suppose you could. But this church is built on the blood and the bones of the apostles and every generation that has followed it since. This church is going through because it's Christ's church. I will build my church. I have bought my church. Promise number three, final promise. Jot it down. Ephesians chapter 5. Take a look. Just go a few more pages. Oh, look at his assurance embedded in these words. Ephesians chapter 5, 
Familiar words in verse 25, but we'll get beyond 25. Watch this. Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, keep reading, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word, and to prepare her to Himself as a radiant church without, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I will build my church. I have bought my church, jot it down now, and I will bring my church to be with me for all eternity. You say, Dwight, where's he going to bring his church? (laughs) Come on. Where do you think he's going to take his bride? It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. The church, he's going to bring the church into eternity. You know, I've been reading uh, the book of Revelation for my personal worships in the morning the last uh, month, I suppose. A friend of mine gave me... You know, the ESV has it. i got to tell, tell you about this. The ESV has come out with every book of the Bible in a journal. So he gave me Revelation and John. And here's how, here's how it works. So you open the little black covers, all of them. You open the journal up on this side. On the left side is the ESV text. On this side is blank lined paper. And you can go line by line is what I'm doing, line by line through the book of Revelation and just respond and, and, re- and react and, and ruminate, brood over it. Our pastoral staff, we all have now these little black revelation journals, and we're doing it for staff worships every Monday afternoon. But I'll tell you what, going, and, I, and by the way, I'm using my friend Ranko Stefanovic's commentary in the book of Revelation, so I'm reading that in tandem with, with the apocalypse. Here are two mighty points that you cannot, you cannot shut up when you read Revelation. Point number one, no matter, no matter... What the dragon, that would be Satan, and his two confederates, that would be the sea beast and the earth beast, no matter what the satanic confederacy does at the end of time, in its efforts, in its coalition to seize control of the entire human race, when you read the book of Revelation, I'm telling you what, one point, mighty point number one is that Christ our Lord triumphs spectacularly, not only in the beginning, not only in the middle, but He triumphs in the end. He wins. Just in case you haven't read the book of Revelation lately, let me just read this to you. Let me just say this to you. He wins. Number one, mighty point, He wins. He comes riding back in his robe dipped in blood on that white stallion. He wins. The the, the satanic trinity obliterated. That's mighty point number one. But a corollary to it is mighty point number two, and that is that the church of Christ Jesus, battered and bruised and bloodied, though she has been, and I'm learning now, she will yet be the church of Christ Jesus, the remnant seed of the woman against whom the dragon is enraged and seeks to destroy, the church of Christ Jesus, the remnant of the woman. She also wins in the end. She wins when she stands beside her Lord and Savior. He wins, and in his win, she wins. So all this consternation, all this wringing of the hands, and all the websites that are popping up, oh, this is it. It's all over in Battle Creek. Forget it. Forget it. I don't know how Battle Creek will turn out, and neither do you. But what I do know, three short promises from the Lord Jesus himself, and guess what? The church survives. Two quotations, then I'll sit down. Quotation number one, put it on the screen, please. 
A little over a century ago, the American writer Ellen White wrote these words. You see them there. During ages of spiritual darkness, the church of God has been as a city set on a hill. So we're talking about a 2,000-year history now, two millennia, the church throughout the span of Christianity. The church has been as a city set on a hill. From age to age, through successive generations, the pure doctrines of heaven have been unfolding within its borders all through history. Now here comes the line, enfeebled and defective as the church may appear right now. Pretty weak, pretty enfeebled, huh? The church still is, read this, the church is the one object upon which God bestows in a special sense His supreme regard. You, there's, no, there's no higher word than supreme. You don't have supremer and supremest. It's just supreme. There's one object on this planet, one object on this planet, belting the planet in every time zone of earth. There is a church, and that church is the object upon which God pours His supreme regard. I'm not worried about the church. Somehow God is a little caught napping and the enemy destroys the church. Are you kidding? Yeah, but Dwight, isn't there something about the church falling? Oh, you're talking about this one. Let me put this second one on the screen. Oh, it's true. Same author once worn on the screen. You see the words. The church may appear as about to fall but it does not fall. So come on, members of the church all over this, uh, this campus, members of the church all over the planet watching right now, take hope. It may appear that it will fall. It will not. I have three promises, and I'm betting on all three promises for the longevity and security of the church to the very end of time, to the end of time. So anybody comes to you and says, hey, girl, you need to leave this place. Get out of here. Come on. You don't need the church. Rubbish. You need the church more than the church needs you because it's going through. Now, I, I may get booted out. Paul says every day, no, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, every day I, I just have to pummel my body because after preaching and teaching to everybody else, I could get lost if, I'm not, if I lose my focus. I will build my church. I have bought my church. I will bring my church home with me one day. The church is not. How can, how can you bring home what's not there? The church is not going to fall. Take heart. Take courage. But keep reading the sentence. The church may appear as about to fall, but it does not fall. It remains while the sinners at Bedwight in Zion will be sifted out. If, I, if I'm not hanging on to Jesus, adios. The chaff will be separated from the precious wheat. There's one more sentence. I'm not leaving it out. This is a terrible ordeal, but nevertheless, it must take place. So something's coming. Something's coming that will be a terrible ordeal. Well, if you read the book of Revelation and you understand that the confederacy that ruled during the dark, dark ages, Middle Ages, will also resurge at the end of time, then you can understand that what was bloody once will be bloody again. I understand that part. But apparently churches are like vineyards. Churches have to be pruned. And so God will allow His church, His bride, ouch, ouch, ouch. Remember we've been talking about pruning with the vineyard? God will allow His church to be pruned. It'll look like this baby's going down. It's adios time. No, no. She will not go down. Stay with it. Stay with Him. You know why it works this way? Because the devil is ticked 
off to high heavens. The problem is he can't get up to high heavens and get at the head. So instead of attacking the head, you know who he attacks? The body. The church is the body of Christ. Revelation 12, 17, and the dragon was enraged with a woman and went, to make, went off to make war with the remnant of her seed who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. That's the deal. You think he's going to sit around and twiddle his thumb? The closer we come to the end of time, he can feel it. He reads. No, he'll turn on the church. I'll destroy this. I will destroy them. Sorry. You've been trying for 2,000 years and you have failed because Jesus promised us, I will build my church. I have bought my church. I will bring my church to be with me. Where I am, there you may be also. I will bring my church home. Hallelujah. What do you say? Hallelujah. Praise God. So keep praying for Battle Creek. We're going to pray right now. Keep praying for Battle Creek. It's tomorrow. The big discussion is tomorrow. Keep praying. Keep praying. I'm not worried, though. Don't you, don't you go getting all fretty and angsty. Quiet confidence in the Christ who is Lord of our church. Quiet confidence. But we must pray. Karen and I, late Wednesday night, we, uh, we got Ted Wilson on, our little, uh, on my little uh, phone, smartphone. And we watched him, 12 minutes long, as he, op- as he opens up his heart. And he, ple- he appeals to the world church. This is our world church president. He appeals to the world church, would you please, from this Sabbath to the next Sabbath, would you be praying for God to intervene in the very human process? I thought to myself, good for you. What could be more powerful than the people of God banding together, uniting together, and pleading with him to do whatever it takes, keep the enemy at bay, hold off that dragon, hold him off, and let your church that you bought with your blood, that you built with your own hands, and that you will bring home one day, let the church go through to the end with you, Jesus. Come on, what's, what's so wrong with that? I invite you to kneel. Let's pray. Let's pray for the church. Let's pray for Battle Creek right now. Oh, God, Lord of the church, head of the body, cornerstone, foundation, Lord Jesus, bridegroom of the bride, builder, oh, God. We bow before you now. We cannot control the events around us, not on the planet, not in the church, but we can pray. And we are praying earnestly right now that you will descend upon that gathering of leaders in Battle Creek and you will do what only you can do. Walls will come down, hearts will be united, and a decision will be made to advance your kingdom on earth through the humble church, weak and enfeebled though we are. We don't just appear it, we are. Oh God, please, do whatever it takes. We believe Jesus. I will build my church. We believe Christ. I have bought my church. We believe our soon coming Savior. I will bring my church back to me. So give us hope. Give us confidence and a holy boldness to assure our friends and neighbors, hang on, hold on to Jesus. He wins, and the church wins standing beside him on that day.
And on that day, O oh God, may not one person bow before you right now. May not one person anywhere on the planet where the signal is going right now, may not one person be missing for that marriage supper, that homecoming of all homecomings. In the name of Jesus, we humbly ask. Amen. Amen.